Well, tonight, Pastor Kurt Skelly is going to come back and deliver God's Word. We, uh, in working through the schedule, it worked out for him to be here with us today. He came in last night and has to leave early in the morning, and so it's been a blessing having him. Uh, I'm so glad that we got some time together and some fellowship together today. I really appreciated the message that we heard this morning, uh, both, both the content and especially the passion that's behind it. And I know the Lord is going to use the Word of God tonight. The Lord's been so good to us. We've had just wonderful messages, every single one of them. And so thank you, Pastor, for being here with us. I hope if you ever get up in the Fredericksburg area that you'll visit Faith Baptist Church where he pastors there. And uh, thank you for your ministry among us. And so thank you for being here tonight. Let's give him a final warm welcome as he comes to speak and preach tonight. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. And honestly, I just thank you for your hospitality all day long. I've just kind of wandered the campus a little, a little bit. To be honest, I got lost a couple times. Um, but everyone has been so kind and uh, smile and sa- said nice things. And uh, it, it really is reflective of the spirit and the culture of this place. And so many of you have served uh, all day long, I've been watching people selling things and, and raising money for the offering. And just all the things that you're doing uh, is such a blessing. And thank you for your heart for the Lord. And thank you, Dr. Pettit, uh, for your hospitality. You know, as uh, I'm just a nobody, I don't really know a lot of people here. So I know I'm just kind of a, a person looking in from the outside. But I'll just say this. Uh, God is blessing this college. And he's blessing you. And I'm so grateful for Dr. Pettit and his friendship and just the spirit that he brings. And to all of you, the faculty and staff, for those that I've, I've, I've gotten a chance to meet, thank you uh, for just be, treating me so kindly. I do want to uh, preach one final message uh, here myself uh, on the steadfast love of God. I'm glad for the theme. And I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter number 9, if you, if you can. Uh, tonight, if you have a copy of the Bible uh, with you and you can keep your Bible open, it would be helpful. Second uh, Samuel chapter nine. I told the uh, those of you that were here in the early service uh, this morning, I, I forgot my Bible for Bible conference. So I didn't forget there was a conference, but I did forget my Bible. Uh, but uh, one of the faculty members was kind enough to share his large print Bible, so and which is very helpful for me. Second uh, Samuel chapter number nine. And I want you to look at verse number one, 2 Samuel chapter number nine, verse number one. Here's the way we're going to do it tonight. Uh, I'd like to just read slowly through the text. I want you just to follow along. I might stop and make a comment or two along the way. And then we won't come back necessarily to the text as I typically do, uh, verse by verse, but I really want us to capture of the totality of the text, I want us to see the what I what I think is the the theme of the text, and I want to come back and explain it uh, in in more of an overview fashion. So I, I hope you'll I hope you'll understand where we're going with this. So Second Samuel chapter number nine and verse number one, where the Bible says, and David said, "Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul?" that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. 
Just a couple things. We know that David is now the king. David is the king of the United Kingdom. And what I mean by that is when David first took over as king, you remember, he only was the king of the the southern two tribes. And it was not until later when Ishbosheth was finally uh, put down that David became the king over all of the kingdom. He moved the capital from Hebron to Jerusalem. And so now it's been some years. It's been at least 20 years since Saul has died. It's been at least 20 years since that ominous battle at Gilboa where Saul and three of his sons, including Jonathan, were killed by the Philistines. And now, almost 20 years later, about that, David is inquiring. He says, is is there anybody of the house of Saul left? Any offspring? A a grandson? A a son? A a somebody? A a nephew? Somebody in the household of Saul? Because I want to show him kindness. And the word kindness as you might suspect in 2 Samuel chapter 9, is our word for this week. It's the word hesed. It's the steadfast and loyal love of God. I want to demonstrate, I want to demonstrate to uh, some member of the household of Saul the steadfast love of God. I want to pass forward the love that has come to me. That's what David is saying. And he gives us the reason. In verse number one, he said, I want to do this for Jonathan's sake. And we'll talk about what that means in just a moment. Look at verse number two. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. Time out for just a moment. That is a cool name, Ziba. Uh, If you don't have children and you're thinking through, I want to name my child something that no other person in kindergarten will have my child's name, go with Ziba. So a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? He said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God? There's our word. The hesed. The kindness of God unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son. That's amazing because David's whole purpose for wanting to show the kindness of God was Jonathan for Jonathan's sake. And now Ziba is saying, yes, there is a member of the household of Saul. And and more than that, he's a son of Jonathan. What a surprising revelation this must have been to David. The Bible says that Jonathan hath yet a son, which is, notice the qualifier, he's lame on his feet. I think the point that Ziba was making is, yeah, Jonathan has a son, and certainly there's somebody that, that you can show kindness to, but, but he can't do anything for you. If you're looking for somebody to, to help you, somebody to support you, somebody to serve you, you're, you're, you're looking in the wrong place because Jonathan does have a son, but, but he's lame in his feet. Look at verse number four. The king said unto him, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he's in the house of, of Makur, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. You will look at a Bible map and notice that 
David's down in Jerusalem. If you go downhill from Jerusalem to Jericho, make your way north up the Jordan River Valley, cross over to the hills of Gilead. There tucked away in a little mountain village in Gilead is the city of Lodabar, almost as if that's where he has lived all these many years in hiding. Because he's a member of the house of Saul, no doubt thinking there's no way that David, who is hunted by Saul, would ever do me a kindness. Look at verse number five. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, so that's the son about whom we're speaking. And when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee, now watch this, I will surely show thee kindness, there's our word, for Jonathan, thy father's sake. I'm going to show you the love of God for Jonathan's sake. And will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and and said, "What, What is thy servant, that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? I can't do anything for you. I can offer nothing in return. I, I have nothing. I'm lame. What 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 could you what could I possibly do for you? You being so magnanimously kind to me. Look at verse number nine. Then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all this house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. Thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth... My master's son shall eat bread all way at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons, 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, according to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table, and he was lame on both his feet. Did you see some of the recurring words and themes in the chapter that we read a moment ago? If you were paying attention, did you see some recurring words like the word kindness? Or the kindness of God? That's the word about which we're speaking tonight, hesed. Did you see the little qualifying phrase that David used three times? Hesed for Jonathan's sake. I'm looking for somebody. I don't even know who it is. I don't even know if he exists. But I want to find somebody uh, of the house of Saul to whom I can show the love of Almighty God, and I want to do this for Jonathan's sake. I want to preach a message tonight simply entitled, Loving, listen, Loving Forward. Loving Forward. 
Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you have given me tonight. I don't take it lightly. Thank you, Lord, that there's a room full of people with open Bibles. Lord, I pray that nearby that open Bible would be an open heart. Even now, I pray that we would just yield ourselves to you in this moment and say, speak, Lord, thy servants here. Lord, whatever it is that you would show us to do or however you would convict us, Lord, I pray that even now we would be predisposed to obey you, to do exactly what you lead us to do. May your word be clear. May the message be impactful. May God be honored. Oh, Lord, tonight I pray for a special descent of your spirit's power upon this service. Please, God, bless this time together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. St. Petersburg, Florida, a few years ago, a little interest piece article was put in the newspaper. A little interest piece article was uh, aired that night on the evening news about a man by the name of Peter Schorsch. You say, Kurt, who is Peter Schorsch? He's just a random guy that read or rather heard on the radio that there was a pay-it-forward line going on at Starbucks right near his house. You know what a pay-it-forward line is. Maybe you've been a part of that. I, I was in a, a drive through of all places, Popeye's, Popeye's chicken. There's some good chicken right there. Popeye's chicken. And I was in, somebody said, hey, the, the, the lady said, hey, the person in front of you paid for your order. I thought, that's great. If I had known that, I would have ordered two Popeye's chickens. But uh, alas, uh, she paid. It was great. Uh, Maybe you've been a part of that. This man, Peter Schorsch, uh, heard on the radio that there was this long pay-it-forward line at Starbucks. Hours long. So he decided, I'm going to go to Starbucks, wait in line, and be in the pay-it-forward line. Sure enough, he went to Starbucks, and the line was, as you might expect, very, very long. But he didn't mind. He just waited patiently in line. And when his turn came to order on the, on the speaker, he said, I'd like to have two vente uh, mocha frappuccinos. And so that's what he ordered. I think that's what he ordered. Uh, at least that's what the article said he ordered. And uh, then he got to the counter, and the uh, barista said to him at the drive through uh, that'll be whatever the price was. And, uh, uh, and the person in front of you paid. Would you like to pay it forward? To which Peter Schorsch of St. Petersburg, Florida said, no. <laughs> Number 458 he was that day. And the streak stopped at number 458. Now you're thinking cheap Grinch, miserly, Scrooge-like Peter Schorsch. I want you to remember that name. We're going to come back to it all the way at the end of the message. You know, David loved the Lord with all of his heart. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Throughout the Bible, as you read the story of David, you come back to the concept of heart. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sit against thee. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David certainly had a heart for God. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. I mean, David had a love for God. 
As the deer panteth uh, for the water brooks, as the heart panteth for the water, so my heart panteth for thee, O God. I mean, David loved God. David, from a young man, wanted to serve God. And David was anointed of God to be, be that next king of Israel. And you know the story. You know how that Saul maniacally, greedily, sinfully chased down David, would have killed him. You know how David behaved himself wisely. You know how that David did not avail himself of uh, two opportunities even to kill Saul when he could have. You know how God uh, blessed David because of how David did not take vengeance upon Saul. And you know the story how that Jonathan, David's uh, best friend and Saul's own son, a man a good deal older than David, had pledged to David his own love. And you know how that Jonathan... Uh, The best friend of David had said, David, uh, my armor belongs to you and my sword belongs to you and my identity belongs to you by all uh, right. But for all intents and purposes, uh, Jonathan should have been the next king. Uh, Humanly speaking, Jonathan was the initial hero there in Israel that fought the big battle, uh, that got the glory. And Jonathan was the one that was the next in line. And and Jonathan uh, gave all of his identity to David. Jonathan gave all of his future to David. Jonathan risked his life to save David. And Jonathan died that same day that Saul died. When David got the news all the way down in Ziklag, all David could say is what a, a great man Jonathan was. And David was looking for a way by which he could show the love that Jonathan showed to him. And for Jonathan's sake... I've never been loved by that. For Jonathan's sake, I've never had anybody love me with that kind of sacrificial love. For Jonathan's sake, I just want to pay it forward. I just want to love. I can't love Jonathan. He's not here anymore. I can't love Jonathan. He's dead and gone on the other side. But I want to love forward for Jonathan's sake. That's what 2 Samuel chapter 9 is all about. How can we love forward? What does it mean to love forward. What does this passage help us to understand about loving forward? The Hesed love of God. We love the fact that God loved us. We love the fact that we are the recipients and the owners of the uh, love of God. And, and what can, shall separate us from that love? Nothing. Not height nor depth or, nor anything can separate us from that. But what about the love of God that we're supposed to pass on to others? What about loving forward? I want to give you three thoughts tonight just by way of the message. I think it'll help you to understand the concept of loving forward. First of all, let's talk tonight about the basis. What is the basis for loving forward? As we read the text a moment ago, just 13 short verses in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, what is the basis? How how do we love forward? I mean, after all, uh, God's love has been expressed to us. How do we love forward? What is the basis for loving forward in the first place? I would give you three thoughts. First of all, I would say the basis for loving God, number one, is the bedrock love of God itself. And make no mistake about it. When you love forward, you're not loving with uh, your love. You're not loving with your, hey, good luck, best wishes. No, when we love forward as believers, we are loving forward qualitatively with the same love with which God loved us. That's a high and lofty thing. And so loving forward involves being a steward of the, uh, of the agape love of God for us. Uh, being a steward of that steadfast, hesed love of God that he has for you and me. That's the, that's the basis for loving forward. 
I, I remember a, a television commercial from years ago. I, matter of fact, I, I told our church about this recently, and I said, how many of you remember the commercial on television where they gave the guy that suitcase full of money that he was supposed to guard, and he just kind of nervously guarded it? And I said, raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. I thought, what in the world? Don't you watch TV anymore? But I get, then someone told me afterward, uh, Kurt, that was from like 20 years ago. So we weren't even born. So I'm not going to ask you if you saw it. I'm just going to tell you it was a commercial. And they gave this guy this suitcase full of money and said, just watch it. And the whole point of the commercial was even a stranger sometimes takes care of money better than uh, this bank or whatever the commercial was about. But I'll never forget the look in the guy's face. They gave him the money and he clutched it like this. He's got the suitcase full of money. He's like, I feel like sometimes that's the way that we hold the love of God. Uh, we're so happy that we have the, oh, God, thank you for this love. Oh, God, oh, what great and glorious love God is. Can we sing about it? Or we play music about it? Or we testify of it? But we just never pay it forward to anybody. But we're glad to have it. We're glad that we're on this side of hell. We're glad that we're saved. We're glad that God loves us. We're glad that nothing can separate us from us. We write poems and songs and sing and celebrate. But I wonder if the love of God is real in our lives, are we paying it forward to other people? And the basis, the basis for, uh, the, for, for loving forward is the bedrock love of God. The wonderful thing about when God uh, gives us his love is the fact that when you give it away, you lose none of it. Hey, it's, like the, it's like the widow's oil. When you pour out the love of God upon other people, you, you, you lose none of it. Matter of fact, the, the most giving people I know are the people that are, that are imbued with the most love. Boy, when you pour out love, God pours in more. I'm just telling you, it's just the way it works. And loving forward has a basis. The basis for loving forward is the bedrock love of God itself. But watch this, number two. Not only do I see the the bedrock love of God itself as loving forward's basis, but number two, uh, I see the demonstrated love of a friend. David referred to it three times in our text. Not only the bedrock love of God, with what kind of love was David intending to show Mephibosheth the, the, the love of Almighty God bestowed upon him? Uh, the bedrock love of God. But uh, how did David understand love? Let me tell you, David understood love through the sacrificial giving of a friend, the demonstrated love of a friend. You know, that's how we, that's generally how we are introduced to the love of God. Do you know that God loves people through people? That's the basic way by which God demonstrates his love. How do you understand God's love? How do you perceive it? You perceive it by what people do. That's 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Why? Because you know if somebody loves you when you see it. The talk is cheap. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. Why? Because the very way by which we perceive love is by what people do. 
The Bible says, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's how we perceive love, by sacrifice, by giving. My father was an atheist. This was actually my toughest birthday this last September when I turned 56. Because my dad, my biological dad, died when he was 56. My dad was an atheist. My mom was a believer, is a believer. She really had no business marrying my dad. But, you know, you make young decisions, and she did. And very soon after their marriage, things began to go south. My dad didn't want his boys, my older brother and, and I, to attend Sunday school or to be any part of a religious institution. My mother and father would, my, would argue about it. I only have one memory of, of my father actually in our home before he left. And that's a memory of when I was three years old of my, my dad, a big six foot five man, standing up at the kitchen table and slamming his fist down on the table. And my mother running out of the room, scared to death, and we boys running with her and holding the, uh, the hem of her skirt, just, uh, just scared that our dad was going to come in. My dad came home one day when I was uh, almost four years of age, and my mother confronted him because he had been seeing another woman at work. My mother said, I love you, Bill, but I can't stay in a marriage where you're going to have a girlfriend at work and me, you've got to choose. It's either her or me. And so I remember the day when my dad packed his suitcase in the back room of our house at 38 Walnut Hill Road, East Chartland, Connecticut, and hastily walked out the front door, walked down the cement stairs, the wrought iron railings, still there. My mother still lives there. The house that her father built in 1941, the year my mother was born. We watched my dad walk down the walk and get into the car, back out of the driveway and leave and never come back. Say, so what does this have to do with love? Everything. Because I watched a mother love her sons and sacrifice and give and not complain and never say a word of criticism about the dad that left. And two months before my dad passed away, I hadn't seen him for many, many years. He left the country, didn't pay child support, had nothing to do with us. But I got reacquainted with him before he died. I sat with him by a hospital bed at the Sloan Kettering Institute Clinic in New York as he died of pancreatic cancer. And I had the opportunity to hold his hand and carefully explain the gospel and lead him to Christ. But I really didn't lead him to Christ. I just gave him the information. It was my mother who poured a selfless, agape, hesed, authentic love into her boys. So that love that my mother had was paid forward through me to a dad that desperately needed to know that he had a God who loved him as well.
You see, love is often detected. It's understood. Love is defined in our minds. It becomes unfuzzy when we see it demonstrated in a friend. And David learned love from Jonathan. A man that was willing to lay everything down for him. To give him his identity and his future and his life. David said, that's the love that I want to pay forward. What is the basis for loving forward? The bedrock love of God. What is the basis for loving forward? The demonstrated love of a friend. What is the basis for loving forward? I would say thirdly, the constraining love of a covenant. The constraining love of a covenant. You see, David and Jonathan actually had made an agreement. They had actually made a covenant together. Read all about it in 1 Samuel chapter number 20, verses 14 and 15. And what you'll read there is that David had run for his life. Uh, David had been hunted down in his own house, had married Saul's own daughter, Michael, and were it not for Michael uh, letting David out of the house, escaping those guards, uh, David would have been killed in his own bedroom. Uh, David ran out to a place called uh, Ramah, and there uh, uh, Jonathan met him, and Jonathan said, I- I'm going to find out a little bit more. I'm going to figure out what's going on. And Jonathan said, David, uh, God's going to bless you. And one day, David, God's going to bring all enemies under your feet. David, one day, David, but you've got to make me a promise. You've got to make me a promise, David, that David, when you're king one day, you won't forget about my family. Promise me, David. Promise me, David. I'm going to give my life for you, David, but you got to promise me that one day when you become the king, one day when you're in control, one day when this is all done, one day, David, that you won't forget my family. Promise me, David. And David said, I promise. It's a covenant in which they both came into the terms of that agreement and said, I will keep my word. And what you find in 2 Samuel chapter 9 is David saying, I'm going to keep my word. I feel a sense of constraint. I feel a sense of, yes, obligation. We're afraid of that word when it comes to serving the Lord. And I understand that the greatest motivation for serving God is love itself. But understand that obligation and love are not mutually exclusive terms. Understand that when you really love, when you really have entered into covenant love with God, there is going to be a sense of obligation too. Paul talked about that. The love of Christ constrains me. We talked about that this morning. He said to the Romans, I'm debtor. Both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you there at Rome also. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, yes, uh, love has obligated me. Yes, uh, the experience that I've had with Christ and what he did for me on the road to Damascus just means that I get to pay it forward. There's a constraint. To love. Do you ever feel obligation? Like as you go about your busy day, as you go about your busy life, do you ever see the people that are on the sidelines? Do you ever take a moment and see that there are spectators to your life that need Christ? And co-workers and loved ones and friends and neighbors. And there needs to be a certain intentionality about, oh, God, you love me. And I'm looking for somebody to love. And I'm looking for somebody to pass that love forward to. There's a sense of obligation. Where is that? Where's that obligatory sense of God? I can't. I, 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 I have a conscience for the lost. I mean, that, that was Paul. That's David here. 
There's nobody alive to hold David accountable to that covenant. It was only David and Jonathan that made that covenant out in the middle of nowhere, 20 years before. If David doesn't honor that covenant, nobody knows. If David doesn't obey his conscience, nobody knows. But David, David knows. I wonder, are you obedient to your conscience? When God lays somebody on your heart, when God tugs at you for your lack of, of evangelistic fervor, Nobody knows, nobody knows, but you know. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness. And the Holy Ghost, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Paul said, I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my kinsmen. According to the flesh, Paul said, hey, my conscience tells me I've got to tell them. He said to the Corinthians, I have a conscience void of offense before God and men. He said to the Ephesian elders, hey, I don't have time to get all the way up to Ephesus to see you, so come down to Miletus. i got to get this offering off to Jerusalem, and I only have a short amount of time, but I want to tell you, listen, uh, I have preached the whole counsel of God. My conscience is clear. I wonder, is your conscience clear? What about your neighbors? You're going home this summer, what about them? What about your coworkers? You know, they have souls. You know, God has strategically placed you in that circle. You're there on mission. You know that, right? We moved into our neighborhood five years ago, and we just began to pray. My, my wife's way better at this than I am. She baked some cookies, and we helped rake some lawns and get to know the neighbors. But the whole point is we want to show them the love of God. Here's my buddy next door, Keo. Keo has a 15-year-old son by one girlfriend from years ago. He's a military guy. Lives by himself in this big monster house. He has another son by another girlfriend. He's two years, two years old. And Keo's got a hard life being a single dad. I moved in and Keo would have people stay at his house. And they'd make, have loud parties and they'd park on our lawn and But I just wanted to go out there and say, get your car off my lawn, you know. But I didn't. Say, he's got a soul. Let's let's love him. He doesn't mean it. Just began to get to know him. Began to pray with him. Why not he come over late, knocked on my door. Hey, Kirk, can I talk to you? Sure. He came in. Two hours later, he was weeping at my counter, repenting and investing faith in Jesus Christ. What a joy it was to baptize him. What a joy it was for him to join our church. What a pleasure to see him right down here on the second row or working in vacation Bible school or greeting at the front door. What am I saying? I'm saying this is so much bigger than our busy lives. This is God putting us among people to reach people. This is God putting us strategically at workplaces and, yes, in dorm rooms and on college campuses and putting us in places where we can pay forward the great love that God has given to us. And that's what David did. There was a basis for it. And the basis was God loved me. And we love him because he first loved us. The bedrock love of God. The demonstrated love of a friend. The constraining love 
of a covenant. But not only do I see tonight what I'll call the basis for loving forward real quickly. Now, let me give you a second thought and a quick one. And I'll call this the mechanics of loving forward. How did David actually go about loving somebody? How did David actually go about fulfilling this covenant? How did David actually go about loving forward in the same way that Jonathan loved him? How did he do it? What, what are the mechanics by which he accomplished this? I see in our text a, what I'll call a persevering intentionality. A, a persevering intentionality. Not just that I know this to be true, not just that I feel this in my heart, but I'm looking for somebody to give to. I'm looking for somebody to bless. I'm looking for some tangible way by which to pass this love forward. This is intentional, perseveringly so. I wonder, are we perseveringly intentional when it comes to our desire to pass the love of God forward? David was. I think about the great church at Thessalonica, and the Apostle Paul wrote them. And he said about them, concerning brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, and indeed you do it. Toward all the brethren that are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that you would increase more and more. You can never reach the top of loving people. And Paul wrote to a church at Thessalonica and said, hey, good job, but you don't really need much teaching on this. Well, let me tell you something. There's always room to love people more. Why? Because this world is love-starved. They think they know what love is. They sing about love. They, they write about love. They, they cast movies about love, but they have no clue what love is. And you do. And you do. You've got the love of Christ in your heart. You know all about Calvary. You know what God did. And people don't know what's up. What are we doing? There ought to be a persevering intentionality to the way that we love forward. But not only do I see a a persevering intentionality, I, I see, secondly, what I'll call a striking impartiality. Well, yeah, we found this one guy, uh, sir. Yeah, King David, we, we did a, a search on the database, and we did find that there is somebody that is related to Saul. In fact, he's even related to Jonathan. We heard you mention Jonathan, but, but uh, we've got a problem with this guy. Uh, he's lame in his feet. I, I think Ziba was projecting what his intention would be if he were the king. If, if I were the king, I would only do good to people that could help me. I would only do good to people that could do good to, back to me. I'll be nice to people if they're nice back to me. I'll give to people if they'll give back to me. I, I, I'll be good if it's politically advantageous for me. And David said, no, no. This is not about me loving somebody to get something. This is about me loving somebody to love somebody. This is about me loving somebody because I was loved when I didn't deserve it. Because Jonathan loved me when I was a nobody. Because Jonathan gave me his identity when he didn't need to. When Jonathan gave me his future when he didn't need to. No, this is not about me getting somebody, something for the person I'm loving. This is about me giving alone. That's what this is about. It's a striking impartiality. You know, you love best when you love when you love impartially. You know, Jesus said, you know, if you do good to those that do you good, that's what the world does. That's exactly what the world does. 
Yeah, they, they, they play. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. That's what exactly. But when you love people that no one else loves, when you love people that can't love you back, when you love people impartially and listen, anonymously, well, that's love. You know, when you do something anonymous for the Lord, that's like whispering to God, I love you. When's the last time you just did something impartially and anonymously for somebody to express the love of God forward? We had a lady, a dear lady in our church years gone by. She had uh, some, some mental issues. She was able to live on her own, but she definitely had some, some, some mental health issues. She struggled. Because of her issues, she, she was uh, socially awkward. In church sometimes, in a prayer meeting or a prayer request time, she would say some really awkward things publicly. One time during prayer request time, she actually swore at me. I said, well, that's a blessing. She's the only woman at the church I used to pastor in Pennsylvania who ever, other than my wife, walked up to me in the lobby and gave me a kiss right on the lips. That was awkward. Hi, pastor. Okay. I mean, I know what the Bible verse said, but I don't think that's what it meant. I used to tell some of our guys, I said, listen, I'm not going to use her name just out of respect, but I'm going to call her Joan. I said to, I said to our guys, I said, uh, hey, listen, when you see Joan coming, just kind of, you know, keep her away, block her away. You know, I'm talking to some visitors. I'm talking to some important people. You keep her away. I'll talk to her later. And I did that for a while. Pastor Skelly did that. The Holy Spirit began to work on my heart and said, well, I, I died for her. You know that, right? I love her. And I just was smitten in my conscience. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go to her first now on Sundays. I'm going to let her be first in line. I'm going to give her a hug. I'm going to tell her I love her. I'm going to listen to her 19 prayer requests about her cat and her gerbil and Fast forward about two years. One Sunday morning, I'm in the lobby of our old church. It's a large lobby. And I noticed that Joan was there and she was smiling ear to ear. And there with Joan was a a young, well-dressed, business-like looking fella. Just looked like a, a lawyer or a doctor. And I said, hello, sir. He said, hi. And he gave me his name and Joan smiled and she said, this is my son. I said, this is your son. I said, where are you from? He said, I'm I'm from California. I teach at a music conservatory in the San Francisco area. I said, oh, well, you go to church out there? No, I'm not religious, he said. I don't go to church. I said, well, what brings you our way today? Here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said, I wanted to go to the church that loves my mother. I wanted to go to the church that loves my mother. Later, he told me, I know my mom can be a 
obnoxious. I know her mental condition can be taxing, but I wanted to go to the church that loved my mother. I wonder, are we loving forward with a striking impartiality? With an intentional, a persevering intentionality? How about this one? Are we loving forward with an extravagant liberality? I mean, loving forward. This wasn't, hey, uh, uh, show me somebody from Saul's family. I want to do a little something for him. I want to send him a, a gift card. I want to give him a gift basket. Uh, those things are great in their place, but not, that's not what David was driving after. No, Jonathan, he gave his all for me. And so uh, I want to show love forward for Jonathan's sake. For Jonathan's sake, I want to love somebody that I don't even know. And here's what I'm going to do. You can have all of Saul's land. Matter of fact, uh, you can have all of Saul's land. I know that you don't have any servants. So Ziba, you're going to take care of the land. All your 15 sons, all your 20 servants. You're going to work the land, bring fruit from the land, and uh, have food for Mephibosheth. But guess what? He's not going to need food because I'm going to put him at my table. And he's going to eat at my table. Not for one day, not for one week or one month or one year. But for the rest of his life, he will sit at my table and he'll be my son. He'll be my son. Well, that's love. That's an extravagant liberality. That's the way God loved you. He didn't love you parsimoniously, but he loved you extravagantly. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Every good thing you have is because of Christ. It all comes down from the Father of lights. I mean, every good thing is from him. And you can't love somebody? And you can't be intentional about finding somebody? You live your life in your selfish bubble? Really? The basis for loving forward, we talked about it. The mechanics of loving forward, we talked about it. Let me mention one last thought tonight. You've listened so very well. I know I've got to move quick. I'm so sorry. Let's call this the theology of loving forward. Would you just stay tuned in for just a moment more? The theology of loving forward. I want to give you three statements, and I want you to listen very carefully to them. The theology of loving forward. The Bible really is all about this. When we talk about loving forward, this is not a strange concept tucked away in an obscure passage in 2 Samuel. No, this is the story of the Bible. This is the redemptive narrative theme. This is, this is, this is the story. I'll, I'll make three statements. Here they are. Number one, loving forward connects. Listen, loving forward connects. And this is not the first one I've got. On the screen, I'm sorry guys. Loving forward connects the object of love to God. Let me say that. Loving forward connects the object of your love, the person I'm loving. It connects them to God. When I love them, they might not know the God I serve, like Keo. Uh, they might not the, know the church I go to. They might not know the Bible I read. But I'll tell you what they do know, this is love. And when I love forward, the people I'm loving, I'm actually connecting the, love, love, the object of my love to the God who loved me. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where the Apostle Paul said, hey, when you give this offering, Corinthians, to these poor saints at Jerusalem, whom you've never met, just understand this, not only are you meeting their needs, oh, yes, you're doing that, but more than that, uh, they are receiving your offering, and many thanksgivings are redounding to the glory of God. You're connecting them to the God you love. When you love forward. Watch this, number two. 
Not only does loving forward connect us to the object of our love, but to connect the object of love to God. But number two, loving forward demonstrates the mission of Christ. Loving forward demonstrates. There's no better demonstration. When you love forward, what you're doing is you're really demonstrating what Christ did for us. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, as the Father hath loved me, even so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Hey, I got love from my Father. Uh, That love is my love that I'm giving to you. Now you pass it forward. So when you love forward, you're actually continuing the very mission of Jesus Christ. It demonstrates the mission of Christ. Be a kind tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Maybe there's somebody tonight that you can't forgive, a dad, an uncle, a friend, a teacher, a pastor, a roommate. I, pastor, you just don't know what they, yeah, we don't forgive because people deserve We forgive for Christ's sake. And God for Christ's sake, God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We forgive forward. We love forward. When we love forward, we connect the object of love to God. When we love forward, we demonstrate the mission of Christ. But here's the one I really want to end with. Here it is. Ready? Loving forward is actually just loving backward. You see it on the screen. Loving forward is really just loving backward. Now, now, now listen, and I'm done. I want to explain something. Loving forward is really just loving backward. Watch how it works. Ready? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, how he loves you and me. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he, God, God the Son, laid down his life for us. So here's the love that God has for me. And then God says, okay, take my love, the bedrock love of God, demonstrated by the greatest friend of all time, Jesus Christ. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And now I want you to pass that love forward. And so when I love this way, watch this, watch this. When I love this way, I'm really loving this way. You say, okay, Kurt, I still don't get it, okay? Let me ask you this question. Can you love God the same way that God loves you? Now answer that in your mind. Can you love God the same way God loves you? Well, God loved you first. Can you love him first? Ostensibly not. Uh, God loved you when you were unlovely. Can you love God when he's unlovely? No. So apparently it would seem that you cannot love God the way he loves you. But wait a minute. Somebody came to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in all the law? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said this, and number two, love your neighbors yourself. Well, wait a minute. That's not what the guy asked. The guy said, what's the greatest? Jesus said, let me give you the two. Why, why, why would Jesus have given an extended answer. Love God, that makes sense. Love your neighbor. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. If you could do these two, in essence, you would be fulfilling the very spirit of the law. Right? But wait a minute. Romans chapter 13, Paul said this, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. 
Well, wait a minute. Where's God in that verse? He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus said fulfilling the law was love God, number one, love your neighbor, number two. But Paul said, oh, no man, anything, he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Paul didn't even put God in there. In Galatians chapter 5, he did the same thing. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. And that whole liberty conversation, he said the same thing. Nothing about loving God, just love your neighbor as yourself. He that loveth his neighbor as himself, he's fulfilled the law. What about James? James chapter 2, that great passage on impartiality. Where James said, if you fulfill the royal law, the number one law, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. So, so, so Paul said, love your neighbor, you did it all. Love your neighbor, you did it all. James said, love your neighbor, you fulfilled it all. But Jesus said, no, no, love God, love your neighbor, you've done it all. Now we've got a problem, don't we? Are Jesus and these New Testament writers in conflict? So then this guy comes to Jesus one day and says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what do you think? God says, so I think you ought to love God and love your neighbor. Jesus said, you're right. If you could do that, right, you would have fulfilled the law. So this do and you'll live. He asked an impossible question, what must I do? So Jesus said, do this. And the man said, but who is my what? Neighbor. The, the parable of the Good Samaritan is not a cute story about how to treat people nice. You know, the parable of the Good, good Story is to show how, 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 is to show the impossibility of obeying a standard outside of the, the power of God's Holy Spirit. To love, your, to love your enemy? The point was this. You, know, you, you have no clue what loving your neighbor is. You have no idea. So wait a minute. Can I love God the way he loves me? I'm done now. Watch this. So sometime in the future, somebody's going to say to Jesus this. Jesus, thank you for that cup of water. Or Jesus is going to say this, I'm sorry. Jesus, thank you for that cup of water. And thank you for that coat when I was cold. And thank you for that food when I was hungry. And thank you for that visit when I was in prison. Thank you. And they're going to say, Lord, when saw we thee naked? When saw we thee hungry? When saw thee, uh, thee, thee, thee naked? When did we visit you? And Jesus will say, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it what? Talk to me. You've done it what? You've, you, you've done it. Watch this. You've done it unto me. See, when you love forward, you're actually loving backward. Because the way by which you love God is by loving others. So here's the question. Can you love God qualitatively the same way he loves you? Yes. Because you can love people first. And you can love people before they ever love you back. And you can love people that are unlovely. 
And you can love people that are at enmity with you just like God did. And God says, when you love that way, you're loving me. Well, I would just say there's really some good reasons tonight for you and I to get on our knees, to say to a holy God, thank you, thank you, thank you for your love. And now God, help me, help me, help me to love forward. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment? Dr. Pettit's going to come in just one moment. I want to ask you one question with your heads bowed and eyes closed. And that is this. Who who, who has God laid upon your heart? Who has God laid upon your heart to love forward with intentionality, with liberality, with impartiality? Who is that person? Maybe it's that person at work that just gets on your nerves. Maybe it's that neighbor. Maybe it's that roommate, that hallmate down the hall. Who is it? God has burdened your heart. I'm going to love you, God. I'm going to love you, God. I'm going to love you, God, by loving them. Loving forward. Think about it.